Well, normally the Feast of the Annunciation is on March 25th, but when that uh, date falls within Holy Week, the feast is pushed up to the Monday after the second Sunday of Easter. So that's what we're doing today. We're actually celebrating the, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. I'm sorry, the Feast of the Annunciation. Um, what we're looking at here is a Feast of the Lord, but it's really also a feast that concerns Mary as well because of the, the very close relationship between Mary and the Lord Jesus. Um, we see a parallel between both of them. We see Christ prophetically saying in the Psalms, Behold, I come to do your will. And then we see Mary saying, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. So there's this uh, something in common between both of them, and that is obedience to God. I'll focus on one line here, going back to our, our psalm. And then also it was it was quoted in uh, the author to the Hebrews. Um, it says here, uh, let's see here, oblation. Okay, so it's not in the sun. It's, it's going to be in our second reading. It'll be in Hebrews. Um, okay, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. A body you prepared for me. Now this is like the second person of the Trinity speaking to the first person of the Trinity, essentially is what's going on. And uh, this is almost like kind of... Uh, not to be taken literally, but in an imaginative kind of sense, before the incarnation takes place, the, the second person of the Trinity is saying to the first person, a body you have prepared for me, behold, I come to do your will. So he's actually talking about the incarnation, about the body of Christ in the womb of Mary and, and the second person of the Trinity taking upon himself flesh and uh, and thereby doing doing the will of God. Now, as I say, it's not to be taken literally in a certain sense, because if you start to think it over, you're going to run into a lot of philosophical and theological problems. Um, one of which, one of many, is, is the fact that there's no time lag, there's no time lapse between uh, the preparation or the, the, the creation of the body of Christ in the womb of Mary and the incarnation and the coming of Christ. So it's not like there is this body just kind of like an... <laughs> kind of like a Frankenstein body or something just was in Mary's womb for a few months and then suddenly the second person in the Trinity said, you know, I think I'm going to move into that body there, down there, okay? So, body's been prepared for me. Here I am. Woo, I'm diving in. <laughs> okay, that would be like a, a very serious Christological heresy, okay, to believe there's the, the union between Christ and his body is, uh, is perfectly complete as, as it would be for any human being. He's a real human person. Um, so, you know, in a certain sense, I think there's an, another thing being hinted at here, and it's this, is that the body that's being prepared really has to do with Mary, okay, because Christ's body came from Mary. So even when we receive the Holy Communion, we can think to ourselves, we're receiving the body of Christ. In a lot of ways, this is, this is Mary's body in a certain sense, okay, because uh, there's no human uh, man Involved in the conception of Christ, Mary is uh, his only parent, and his body then came directly from from hers. Um, so Mary is very closely associated with the whole 
mystery of redemption and Christ needing a body to suffer and to die on the cross. Mary is is just, she's right there. So the preparation that's being spoken about in a lot of ways can be thought of as having to do with Mary, actually. God preparing Mary to be a fitting environment, so to speak, for Christ to move into. Uh, the, the ancient analogy that the ancient theologians use is very beautiful. They go back to the early chapters of Genesis, and you've got uh, this, this place called Eden, Eden, and it's this very idealistic place. And God takes from the earth of Eden, and he forms the, the body of the first man, and he places him in the garden, this beautiful garden of Eden. And uh, so... Also, God took from this this beautiful land called Mary, so to speak, the body of not the first Adam but the second Adam, and He placed and He placed Him within the Garden uh, of Eden, this beautiful place, the womb of Mary. So there's this kind of, but the Garden came before Adam, and Mary came before Jesus, and Mary was being prepared, cultivated, and uh, being made ready to be a fitting place for the coming of the Son of God. The, the first way that Mary was prepared to be a fitting garden or environment for the Incarnation uh, was the Immaculate Conception. And I, it's the first thing that I always talk about when I talk about the Immaculate Conception is that it does not have to do with the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary, the conception of Mary in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. So the Immaculate Conception means that Mary was, uh, from the first moment of her existence, came into two into existence without original sin. That's the first and foremost way that God prepared uh, a body for his son Jesus was through making Mary sinless so that she would be a fitting um, receptacle for the second person of the Trinity. But there's also other ways that he prepared, other ways that he prepared Mary. So... She never conceived in her humility that she would become the mother of God, Okay, that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. She would never have thought that. She just simply aspired to be as holy and as pleasing to God as she possibly could be. And uh, that was that motive alone was a sufficient one for her to be prepared to be uh, the, the worthy mother of um, of the of the Son of God, a worthy mother of the Son of God. Some of the some of the virtues that she had when she was growing up, the incarnation that takes place that we read about here in our gospel text, she's probably 14, 15, 16 years old. We we base that on on tradition, we base that on actually good historical reasoning because oftentimes uh, women were given away in marriage um, in that Jewish culture at that time at a very young age, 14, 15, 16 years old. So she's very young. And uh, so for the first you know, 16 years of her life, she learned um, from her parents, who by tradition were elderly, uh, when, when she was conceived, St. Anne was, was older, um, she learned respect for the elderly. She learned respect for her ancestors, she was very much um, a child of the Hebrews, and her parents looked back to their ancestors, and they had a veneration for their ancestors, and they passed that on to Mary, that respect and that veneration for the past. How important is that today? I think a lot of kids come into the world, and they, they feel very rootless, very, very rootless. 
um, their immediate family is oftentimes fractured and in some kind of irregular shape, let alone previous generations beforehand. You know, they've got no connection to anything. And they feel like they're floating around without any kind of roots. And, um, but that wasn't the case for Mary. Uh, she was very much rooted in her, in her people, in her ancestry, in her parents. Um, also, another way that God prepared Mary to be a fitting um, vessel for the Incarnation was simply the issue of obedience to authority. She was obedient to her parents. Okay. Um, today, we have, in some ways, our modern culture is a, is a result of the history of Christianity and Christianity's respect for the individual uh, as an individual person and the individual's conscience. And so we today have a, the best of Western culture, the best of Western civilization, the best of American thought um, has that healthy respect for the individual and for individual conscience. But sometimes it can be twisted and perverted and go to an extreme where we just, we just hate authority. You know, you see bumper stickers that question authority. <laughs> just because it's authority, you immediately have to question it. Like, no, it's not, <laughs> that's not proper. Like, are you gonna, you always, from the point of view of a parent, it makes sense. Like, this kind of common sense stuff always makes sense from the point of view of a parent. Okay, tell your second-year-old kid or your two, two or three, four or five, six-year-old child, question authority, question authority. <laughs> See what kind of, what time you're going to have raising that, that child. So we have to have this balance between respect for authority, for, for respecting our own conscience, but also respecting authority. And authority in and of itself is not bad. Um, St. Paul he hits the nail right on the head in Romans. He says, Obey the powers that be out of respect for conscience, for conscience sake, for conscience sake. So what you're doing is you're, you're recognizing an authority that's been established by God. And uh, you're doing it because you're ultimately obeying your authority, which is God's representative, ultimate representative. It's the highest authority on earth is your conscience, actually. But if you're a person of conscience, you can then also respect other authorities that God has placed on the earth. And um, when that authority violates your conscience, you have to disobey the authority. Uh, but until it does that, you need to respect that authority. So authority in and of itself is good. In fact, conscience is in itself an authority. It's God's umpire, so to speak, that he's placed within the, the human soul. Um, and uh, we need to cultivate that and have that. And uh, Christ, as a man, had that towards God the Father. Mary had that. And this is what we see when they say, Behold, I come to do your will. I come to do your will. And Mary says, May it be done to me. Uh, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your will. So today, my brothers and sisters, uh, there's a lot more we can talk about with the virtues of Mary. Uh, but she was a fitting uh, vessel that was prepared beforehand for the incarnation. And so in our own lives, we have to look at ourselves and say, how are we preparing ourselves to be a fitting vessel for the coming of Christ in our life? Are we, um, do we have a proper respect for obedience? Do we have a proper respect for the elderly and for the generations that have gone before us? 
Uh, if, like Mary, we, we do have those virtues in place, then we too will become a, a fitting dwelling for Christ.